Lifestyles, a show designed to help everyday Australians create a lifestyle that inspires them using property development strategies. On the show, you'll hear from everyday people changing their lives doing property development. You'll learn from their successes as well as some of the challenges they face along the way. We'll also talk to experts from a range of fields who share specialised techniques you can use to accelerate your property journey. I'm your host, Amanda McEwen, and I'm a founder of Rising Star Developer, and I'm really passionate about helping everyday Australians build lifestyles using property development. Welcome to Building Lifestyles. Today's podcast is a goodie and I'm so thrilled to have my site manager, Paul, who looked after my own home build back in 2019 on today's call. The build of my own home was far from simple and far more challenging than any of my other developments. Picture this, a 16-metre drop from front to back, a hairpin bend on a slope to get materials to site and very limited access to a block. So certainly conditions that are challenging for any builder. And what I had to do was really use the same principles that I do for my projects in making sure that I chose the right builder. So making sure they had experience in creating the type of product that I wanted to create. And I was very, very grateful and blessed to make the right decision with my builder that I chose, Clem Homes, to build my own home. But the success of a builder is really comes down to the success of and the skills of your site manager. So Paul was my site manager. He has a wealth of knowledge and skill in the building industry, and I can't wait to share our experience and also Paul's experience in today's episode. So Paul Stewart, welcome to the show, and I'm very excited to have you here. Morning. How are you? Nice to see you. Likewise. So... So we met uh, on site in 2019 and I remember our initial meetings and it's quite funny because when I met both you and Troy, you knew that I was in property and I could almost sense that you must, might be thinking, oh, here we go, he's a property developer. This person's going to be an absolute pain in the ass during the build. <laughs> They're going to micromanage me and uh, yeah, it was very, very funny. Your character won over, didn't it? That's for sure. No, it was a pleasure. It was a real joy to build your home. Um, home, not a house, a home for you. It was lovely. Family home. That was what it was all about for me. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I know, I remember, because we had to, to make some crazy cuts. We've got uh, four to five metre high retaining walls. We had to cut out a lot of soil to try and level the side. It was really, really complicated. And we spent probably six months in the ground before we even started on the build, didn't we? Yep, yep, establish the site, get it safe, um, and access was key, wasn't it? We had <clears throat> the the site next door, which was a terrific help. If it had been purely your site, oh, I don't know how we would have um, got through it as quickly as we did, actually. It was quite a quick build for a, 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 a difficult development. So establish the perimeter, that was the key. Um, stormwater runoff, so your neighbours didn't complain to you. <laughs> uh, yeah, take it from there. Building the bridge was the first part of it, wasn't it? And so I was delighted to actually build a bridge. Never built a bridge before. Um, but my grandfather was uh, a bridge builder. He worked for a company called Dorman Long. And they built a famous bridge in Sydney, actually. The Sydney Harbour Bridge. They, they were the main contractor for that. There's a plaque at the bottom. So if you're going to have a look, Dorman Long. Uh, from Middlesbrough, actually, in the UK. 
they designed it. Mm. Oh, we should almost put a plaque in the bottom of my bridge uh, with Paul Stewart's name on it. Yeah, well, it <laughs> paid for the Sydney Harbour Bridge yet, so I'm told so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for the benefits of the listeners, what we um, with my own home, um, we actually bought the block of land. So the neighbour had subdivided it and put it and split the block into two. And then we bought our block and um, modified the plans and then started going. So we were very lucky to have access through his block to be able to get to our side. So um, that certainly helped with moving, getting materials down to the bottom of the block. That's right. But as uh, your house developed along the way, didn't you? I mean, there was areas at the bottom where the, the cut and fill meant that we could actually um, extend the floor plan very slightly, put a couple of walls in and you know, the, the good house develops. Yes. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And because it was on a 16 metre drop, it's actually across five different levels. If you want to have a look at it, it's actually, there's a video on my YouTube site. Uh, so putting my name, Amanda McEwen, and you'll see the, the actual completed product. It's quite incredible. So it's, it's across five levels and we really had to start from the bottom and work our way out. So, um, Paul certainly had his hands full managing the logistics of uh, each of those stages. Thing, wasn't it? It was slow going at the start, but you know, momentum builds like most developments you'll, you'll find. Um, yeah, it was, it was tricky storage of materials, but the key was the bridge. Once the bridge was in, the cranes could turn up, lift the supplies down, made life a lot easier. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one thing that, um, I certainly had the feeling when I got when I was talking to yourself and Troy, uh, your, your wealth of knowledge and your experience and really, really the level of detail that you went to in planning the whole implementation of our project, I instantly, my husband and I, Alistair, we instantly felt we were in safe hands. So we didn't need to micromanage you because you were always 10 steps ahead of where we're at anyway. So that your skills and your expertise really enabled us to take a step back. And we certainly still had regular site meetings and we were still on top of the progress, but we didn't need to micromanage because you were so across all the detail throughout the whole project. Yeah, it was was a, a lot of thinking before we actually got to um, make any real progress in coming up out of the ground. It was digging down, wasn't it, carting, mm. soil away awful lot of work before we actually got to make any progress that could be seen really um, and, and once it started, once the foundation was there, but don't forget all of your home is still, still essentially four walls and a roof but on different levels and it can be complicated, people can make life so hard but cut it down, break it down into um, footings earthworks footings uh, steel work it's not it's it's not rocket science. It's not rocket science. Yeah. <laughs> and I think you play your skills down a bit. I think you play downplay your skills, Paul. You're right. The, 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 the foundations are the same. It's like when when I teach property development, I teach them there's there's a bouncing ball to follow. There's a, a key process to follow, which is when you understand that it's quite simpler. And the, the detail and the complexity comes when you start actually developing the site so once you know the foundations then that's when you deal with the challenges on site which which you certainly handled so well in our project yeah it was it was a pleasure and looking at the home now just I, I still drive up you don't know i drive up the road 
have a little look every now and again, still there. <laughs> oh, we should knock on the door and always come in for a, a cup of tea. It's uh, very, very grateful for what you created. And just for the benefits of the listeners here, so our home is, so we have a very, the very bottom level is uh, my veggie patch and, and it houses our bunnies and then a slope until um, a patch of grass, which my husband really, really wanted a patch of grass. So we pretty much took out half of the cliff face so they could have his big level patch of grass. And then we've got, uh, the first level of our house, which is where we have a, a beautiful infinity pool that looks over incredible views and all of my children's bedrooms, three bedrooms, living room, bathrooms, and then it goes to the middle level, which is where our living space is, and then the top level, which is my office and our, our bedroom and bathroom and garage. So fortunately, with our block, we were able to lift our house uh, so that the driveway and the bridge is level with the road. So Every single house on my street has these incredible, really steep incline or decline, crazy driveways, and we're the only one that's actually level. Because I was picturing my children, when they get older, learning to drive and having to try and navigate driveways, and my in-laws and my parents, you know, as they get older, trying to navigate driveways, and, and it would have been very hard for them. So we push really, really hard in the planning stage to get our ideal situation where the house is still very imposing. When you see it from the street, it actually just looks like a very simple single-storey home, uh, but then we've worked with the levels to be able to um, yeah, maximise the views and all the views at the back of the house as well. And, and yeah, certainly you are right uh, when, we, when we started talking about the the complexity around this, and when we had to build a bridge, we were like, hang on a second, what are you doing? Me with building a bridge. Uh, but then that was so key to to be able to crane all the materials down on our site, and and it's really where it all started to unfold very quickly. Right. <laughs> Easy, wasn't it? No, it was it was uh, the logistics. So even getting around the bend at the bottom, the concrete trucks were reversing up. I don't know if you were there any times during the pour. If they drove up the hill, concrete would come out the back. So, yeah, all, all in all, you didn't know that, did you? No, I didn't know that. That's interesting because I have seen a number with my neighbour that's building right now. We've had a number of trucks that have, have uh, end up being stuck and they've had to get craned out because the bend is so, so tight. We didn't get one stuck, I don't think. No, not one. Great site management. That's why, uh, Paul, you probably briefed everyone very quick, um, very detailed uh, the logistics before they even arrived. And just uh, for the benefit, even with my project, so with the build of my home, because of the complexity, it was really amazing to have someone with your depth of experience and your attention to detail. Like Al and I would have our site meetings and and your detail with every little component of our house was just amazing. And I actually... I learnt, I mean, I don't have a building background at all, as you well know, from the questions that I'd ask on site, but uh, I learnt so much out of my own home build uh, because your level of detail was just so, so thorough and your way of explaining things so simply, I learnt a huge amount. I, I, I think of the, the fridge, though. In the <laughs> fridge. <laughs> we moved in, the fridge came down, didn't it, and it... It fitted in the opening. The door wouldn't open because the nib wall was sticking out too far, wasn't it? Yeah, that's right. So we had uh, we purchased this um, big double door fridge, and we had to get it down from the street level to the middle level. And 
Paul very, very kindly, with the help of I think about seven or eight of the tradies, managed to get at the stairs down the like get the the fridge down the stairs without damaging. We've got a um, open spine staircase to get that huge heavy fridge down without causing any damage, and then slot it in only to open the doors and realise we couldn't actually open the doors. It wasn't going back up again. It would have. No. Uh, and it's going to stay here for the for the rest of our time. But um, very quickly, and that's what I loved about working with you, Paul, is we every single time an issue happened on site, and no matter how experienced you are, there are always going to be challenges that happen on site because if you think about plans, uh, that's like a recipe, and it's not until sometimes you actually start building the the project or building the components that you realise there's some things that you can't visualise everything on paper to be able to translate on site. No, but then, um, as you say, you can't. But the more planning you do, the more you cover off on everything, don't you? So the more changes you make, the more problematic things become. And you can't really see what effects that will have later on in the build. So it's pretty key to make your decisions early, get your planning done early, think about the process of build, be methodical and stick to it. And deal with the problems that arise because it, it, every day there's always something, isn't there? There's always something in everybody's life. But particularly in building, there's something always uh, raises its head you're not aware of, you, you're not ready for, but you work around it. Of course you do. You've got to. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And this is where communication and having a good relationship with your site manager and your builder is just so, so important. And it's certainly something that I – uh, drive home with my students, you know, you really need to be building your A-team and you've got to have a relationship with, you're going to be spending the next 12 to 18 months with your working with your builder depending on the size of your project and you want to be able to have a relationship with them of respect and it's got to be win-win because things don't always go to plan and there are difficult conversations that need, always need to happen regardless of how smooth the project pans out and this is where the relationship is so key. Communication, that's exactly right. So you want to hear the bad things, not all the good things. That's, you know, you need to be approachable, don't you, in any, in any job that you do. So if you make yourself approachable, contactable, another important one. Um, if the builder is a bit wary of being contacted during the day, send them an email saying, I'm going to call the next day or can we meet on site? Just keep that relationship going. So build the relationship is very, very important. Keep on side with each other as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, I mean, just with every single build, there's always frustrations that happen, whether a build takes longer or there's a variation surprise or a challenge, things didn't quite work out the way that uh, you had pictured. If I think about I've done over 17 projects and every single project has something that hasn't gone right, hasn't been perfect, but we've always been able to work through a solution by being able to work collaboratively with the site manager and the builder. It's a, it's a relationship you've got to develop, isn't it? It's not just a one-off um, exercise. You, you need to look at the longevity of, if you're in building, in particular, develop development, you need to build that trust, don't you, both ways. It goes does go both ways. And um, the more uh, expressive you are and, and open to hearing, two ears and one mouth, because you should listen twice as much as you talk. Um, yeah, yeah. So build the relationship. It's a key, key element. And trust, of course, that's the main thing. Yeah, for sure. And I know that, uh, I guess, 
one of the key factors when I'm choosing a builder is I always want to be able to know and have access to the owner of the company. So I was certainly able to have that with Troy and also with all my developments, I always make sure that I, I work with the smaller to mid-tier builders that the owner has involvement in the business as well. So it means if things don't go according to plan or you need to have those harder conversations, you've actually got a direct line into someone who's got a vested interest in the business. Yeah, quite quite regularly, though, the supervisors are just rushed off their feet when they're building for developers. There'll be dozens of homes they might be building. It was different for you and I. The communication was direct, but developers probably should go through the hierarchy, shouldn't they? Go not contact supervisor initially because he shouldn't really be giving giving out too much um, information that could be wrong. So it's always best to go from the owner of the business or the construction manager. That's where your first port of call should be, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I know with uh, with my development business, when I'm looking for a builder, I always ask how many site managers they have and how many projects do those site managers manage as well. Because uh, certainly with a lot of the really big builders, you can have a site manager that's ma- managing 20, 30, 40, 50 projects and at a very, very high level. And it's only so fast someone can stretch. So I always try to make sure the site manager has got a manageable load so that they can give the project the attention it needs. That's exactly. I've heard of a supervisor driving up and down a country road, driving past the house that he was supposed to have built. He never actually went there. The trades communicate between themselves um, for the major home developers. And supervisors really are rushed off their feet. They generally can be schedulers rather than supervisors so they check that the trades are there they they often don't check on the quality or the compliance of the work that the trades are giving them so you're very important to check the the workload of the supervisor he's very very he's key to successful development yeah he, he really is yeah yeah, absolutely. And that probably leads us quite nicely into where you've evolved into. So you were doing site management uh, work for Clem Homes and then now you've actually uh, gone into creating your own business because uh, of doing building inspections at various stages of a, of a build. So just tell us a bit more about that. Yeah, well, my father passed away at the start of the year, so I went back to the UK and the first thing mum said, I look tired. Um, it's a very stressful job, project managing, site supervising, very, very stressful. I spend a lot of time awake at night thinking about the jobs um, and what's coming up. But I, I, I thought maybe now's time for a change. I'm getting on a little bit. My energy levels are not what they used to be. The passion is still there. I still love to build, um, but it takes its toll. And I guess looking to the future, the next five to 10 years, the idea is to develop my business um, into something that I can control rather than having to go out every day um, to to various sites. I might get the call uh, to go and have a look at a development for, um, for yourself, for example. Go to, you might phone me and say there's some, framework to inspect and get out there quite quickly to do it. I, I quite enjoy the various sites getting to and from. I don't want to be stuck behind a desk or that would drive me nuts. I could never, ever do that. So the, the main essence of starting the business was to give me 
um, that freedom of choice as I get older. And um, I'm trying to collaborate with developers and builders in the area. Uh, I've got a website. That I've just It's a very new business, but I've been, you can see from the grey hair, for a long time. So, um, yeah, I'm hoping to develop in the next five to ten years. That will take me through to um, older age as well, because I've been in it since I was, uh, since, so that's that's the reason, yeah. yeah. Oh, great. So just talk through the various stages of the various types of inspections that you do and why they're important. So for developers, um, there are four key stages to, to inspect. Um, the foundations, the footings, the slab itself when that goes down. The next stage would be the wall and roof framing, then waterproofing, and then completion final completion. So each of them are obviously very key to the stability structure of the house. And um, the slab, uh, if you look on my website, I go through a description of what we do, check sizes, squareness, levels, um, defects in the concrete. The concrete might be supplied incorrectly. For example, you might have cold joints in in the slab, which is an, um, an invitation for termites um, and structural Problems later on in life, wall and roof framing. Obviously, that's another key aspect to the, the integrity of the house. That doesn't stay up, you know. Um, so the builder doesn't actually have to sign a uh, what they call a Reg 74 supervisor's checklist, which is they go and check all the bracing, tie downs, um, uh, and that the plans, the house is built to plans that's submitted to council. They just simply have to sign it off at the end of the project now to say that it's compliant. So that's a recipe for disaster if it's not checked. Uh, waterproofing, of course, um, speaks for itself really. If waterproofing is defective, you can't actually see the damage it's doing, but water will, um, damage your house beyond repair quicker than you realise. Um, and obviously the final stage would be um, on completion to make sure that you're happy as the client and that the builder has carried out all of his um, tasks as as submitted to council. So, yeah, all four, four stages, very key, um, each one. On the footings in particular, some of these are um, structural engineer would come out and inspect the reinforcing. So the reinforcing doesn't really need to be checked by a, uh, a building inspector. Yeah. So they're the four key stages for us. Okay. Great. So when people are buying a home, typically people will purchase a post, um, a post, post or pre-purchased inspection. And certainly with my purchases, I always encourage them to go, even though it's a brand new home, I'm always very encouraging of my purchasers to do that inspection because then it means that then they can, they can get any defects or any challenges picked up which can then be rectified in their 90-day warranty period so um, some some developers can get nervous because they think oh, okay it's, they're going to pick up something wrong and, and see it as a bad thing I actually see it as a positive thing because it means your purchase is going to feel confident in the, what they've made the big investment that they've made but it also enables them to really make the most of that 90-day warranty period to get anything uh, fixed that needs to be fixed during that time right that's right also the builder if you if the builder should be obviously informed, I would suggest, before 
you start the development, the uh, building inspection stage inspections will be carried out. Uh, keeps them on their toes as well and um, just keeps them on side. I think that's that's important for the builder to know. Um, it's, it's actually a, a help for the builder because, as I say, some of the supervisors are rushed off their feet. And if they if they miss something, even if I'm checking a wall framing, for example, and we miss some waterproofing, um, external waterproofing behind upstands, for example, on split levels, that it, it, it can be addressed earlier than when it's too late, of course. And um, just peace of mind for everybody. I think it's I think it's a good idea. But inform the builder prior. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's probably a good uh, conversation to have up front as well, because if your builder gets really nervous about that and doesn't want you to do it, then I think you perhaps should do a bit more research on that builder anyway. Because I certainly know with my builders that I work with, um, so Paul's doing some ins- inspections of my current project at the frame stage, and I, I let my builder know. And when you have that upfront conversation with your builder, my, my builder's more than comfortable with that because what it means for them, and they were actually encouraging of, of you coming to inspect my site because what it meant for them is that any issues got picked up early by someone who's focusing just on that component rather than the whole project. And it also meant they could get the trade back there fixing those issues while they're still on site as opposed to trying to come back later on. So if you have those conversations with your builder to say, look, we're doing building inspections, uh, that's going to actually help you because it means it's if you get to the structural integrity of your frame sorted out now, if things, if issues popped up down the track, say, for example, at completion where the walls aren't straight because the frame's not straight and, and all those ongoing issues or structural issues that happen down the track and the builder's got to then go back and try and rectify something a couple of years down the track, that would be an absolute nightmare and a headache for um, a builder. So by being proactive at that very stage where it's a lot easier to rectify then, is actually going to benefit the builder too. That's right. It's like doing your due diligence before, isn't it, really? So if, you're, if your inspections are uh, comprehensive, it needs to be fair as well. And I'd encourage the builder to be on site when I would do the inspection. It's not a thing to be frightened of. It's, it's something to help, isn't it? It's something to help everybody get through the development. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And I think that's also where it's key to to make sure, like any part of your A-team when you're doing a project, is choosing the right building inspector too because I remember having a building inspector one of my projects many many years ago and he was doing an on completion inspection for the purchaser and he got very very excited and I remember meeting him on site and he was excited about how he had got builders to rip down walls and he'd had purchasers fall over and he he was quoting um, Victorian building standard rules in, in South Australia, and they, he, it was like a power trip for him. And what it did, it actually terrified the purchaser, and it created so many challenges because his intentions weren't for the benefit of the purchaser and the builder. It was there just as a power trip. So that's where you really want to make sure that you're choosing a, a building inspector that's there for the right reasons, and that is to be of the benefit for the purchaser and the builder and work collaboratively for a win-win. That's right. Yeah, you don't want to frighten people off, but you have to be very um, honest and thorough. It's obviously only a visual inspection, though. Bear, bear that in mind. So it's key to do the inspections of wall framing before the linings and insulations go up. So because you can't rip it, that's why the man maybe had them ripped down. Maybe there was some 
defects in wallframing. He may have been, it may have been legitimate, but the developer should have engaged him at an earlier stage, perhaps to identify those problems. Maybe the inspector was doing a stage inspection and he missed it. Who's, who knows? But he's, he's definitely not got the right attitude if that's the case he's scaring people off. That's not the intent. It's to be very thorough and factual, not opinion based, but factual. Yeah, absolutely. And I certainly know from my own personal experience, um, and as a developer, and because I'm not a builder and I don't, I don't have the same level of building skills and experience as yourself or the builders that we employ. That's why I employ builders to be able to, to know that it's like, for example, you know, the lawyers understand the legal side of it. Your architects understand the architectural side. As a developer, you can't be an expert in all those fields and nor do I want to be because otherwise it wouldn't be a lifestyle business. So, Part of my role as a developer is to make sure that I engage all the key people with those skills to be able to help with those roles. And I find, especially because the the construction side of your project is so, so critical, for me, it's almost like an insurance policy and a safety blanket to know that. I mean, I trust my builder, but you can't necessarily be across everything. And I just find that because... When you sell the end product, you want to make sure that you're handing over a product that's really good quality and it's the best that you can possibly create within the budget constraints that you've got. And I found by having an inspection uh, done by someone independent like yourself, it just means that I can feel confident that I've had someone skilled to be able to dot the I's and cross the T's and make sure that I'm handing over a project that's, you know, to the standard it should be. But strangely, though, the building inspectors don't have to be licensed. Pest inspectors have to be licensed, but not building inspectors. So um, if you do employ a building inspector, ask that they have a building license. That's key, isn't it? It's common sense, really. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's a really good point to raise to everybody because, yeah, I know that to be a building inspector, you can do a two-day course at uh, Master Builders and suddenly you're a building inspector. But that's where someone with your experience who has, has got so much experience on the ground knee-deep in projects over so many years to then be able to tap into someone with your qualifications and experience to be able to do the inspections. Uh, yeah, it's incredible. So like with any of your A-team, you always want to make sure that you are interviewing and making sure you've got the right person with the right skills and that they can really help to the benefit of your project. And it has to be fun. Remember we had this conversation halfway through your build? It needs to be fun. And Engage someone that's personable. It, that's, it's key, isn't it? Just communication is the, is the essence to it. So good and bad, you need to hear the bad as well as the good, um, but also be um, have, make it fun. Yeah, and that's a really good point that you raised there, Paul, because I certainly know with every single person in my A-team, uh, they've got the similar values and uh, they're really kind people and generous and uh, awesome people to work with. And that's that's one of the key criteria, along with their skill and, and the pricing and that sort of thing. But you, you want to enjoy what you do because life is complicated enough and there's enough challenges that get thrown at us left, right and centre that we want to be able to enjoy what we do um, and make it fun. And, and that's why I'm so passionate about the, the buildings that I create and my education business because I love what I do and I really surround myself with awesome people like yourself to really help me be able to do what I want to do. Positive, positive energy. It's, it's, it can, I can see it in your face. It comes across, yeah. Yeah. Oh, thank you. And we've had lots of fun um, during the build. And, uh, yeah, it's almost, it was almost sad when my, it was awesome to move into our house. But it's like, oh, I don't get to meet Paul on site as regularly as possible. It's quite sad. 
It was down the pub. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, but I'm very grateful that you've moved into this new role for yourself and um, building a new lifestyle business for you too and being able to get you involved in my projects and and keep that relationship ongoing and working together. It's something I'm very grateful for. So thank you so much for your time and thank you for sharing your wealth of knowledge uh, with everyone listening to this podcast. So if anybody wants to be able to use Paul. He's based in South Australia, so um, I'll, he's, I'll put his website in the show notes. So certainly feel free to reach out and um, you'll have someone very, very experienced and an awesome bloke as well to be able to help you do your inspections uh, should you choose to. So thank you so much, Paul. It's been amazing. And, uh, yeah, look forward to our next project together. Thank you so much for listening. This is Building Lifestyles, a show designed to help everyday Australians create a lifestyle that inspires them using property development strategies. This podcast was produced by the Rising Star Developer. We've been helping Australians realise their financial and lifestyle goals since 2020. And we play a pivotal role in educating, supporting and celebrating the goals and successes of our students. To find out how we can help you realise your property, wealth and lifestyle goals, head to our website www.risingstardeveloper.com.au. To make sure you don't miss an episode of Building Lifestyles, be sure to subscribe to or follow the show in your podcast app. And while you're there, leave us a five-star review as it really helps others find the show. I'm Amanda McEwen and we'll be back next episode with more tips to help you build your lifestyle.